Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Chapter 29 from Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. Music. didn't have a uh, different tone to that one. I think I used the same tone as last week. No, oh, no. I'm back. repeating myself. Uh, We've never done that on the podcast. Never. No. Um, you know, as, as I uh, edit these, I wonder if there's like a master list of both of us saying, um, now I think we said this on the podcast before. I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we've repeated ourselves on various topics multiple times because that's what happens. So, uh, yes, we we are continuing. Um, so, Catherine. Oh, yeah, she's been thrust out into the great unknown. Well, I mean, not that dramatically, but that that's kind of the level of every time something happens to her. That's kind of how well, it feels. Nothing this bad has ever, ever happened because she's been sent... A, she had no money, mm. so she would have been unable to get home. Yeah, a, a young lady just, like, stranded in the countryside. Yeah, basically, she, the father, uh, g- the general just booted her out. Now, here's something I was, I was thinking. Um, like, the tenor of the conversation was kind of how bad it looks for Catherine and her family. Like, she was ejected from the family. Um, yes. Very, very suddenly, it, it looks bad according to society. But I, I wondered, like, but what about like the family that did it to just throw like a young lady unsupervised to the wolves, basically? Um, usually the way it would work is because they are um... higher in society. Is that no? It's not the way. It's like okay, they because they have a really strong reputation and they're well known. Mm. And the general is obviously, well, he's a general. Mm. Um, mm. I think it was less uh, less the fact that they they were kicking her out, but more that the onus is on her for having conducted herself in a way that would warrant her having been kicked out that way. Remember, um, the way that Eleanor was putting it is like you've done nothing that could warrant this kind of treatment. Mm. But it's going to look as though you've done something to warrant this kind of treatment. Yeah. That's yeah. what she's basically saying. Society so, is against her because of the optics of this situation. Yes. Yeah. Because no one would dare do such a thing. Like, no one would dare just boot someone out, especially a young woman, unattended, unaccompanied, in a post uh, coach, all these things. That That's done to someone who has... Uh, broken some of the very severe restricted social codes like you don't Mm. do that Um, so basically um, they're treating her like they would uh, like that behavior would be reserved for someone who you know has stolen something or um, has been incredibly offensive Mm. like beyond offensive Um, 
uh, or has behaved in a way that is of ill repute. Mm. Yes? Um, so. You know, it just occurred to me, maybe the general found out that she uh, snuck into his dead wife's room. Y- maybe. Maybe. And and whether that would be... But Eleanor is still also saying that how, whatever, like, the thing that he's saying... Whatever his his justification is not just, and it does sound like Eleanor like he did not make the offense known to Eleanor. No, no, Eleanor's. Um, I think when we go back, let's go back because Eleanor seems to know what's going on. She just, but I well, she's I'm, just not saying what it is. She's not telling her. See, because I remember she said, you know, you'll see. I have very little power as a lady of this house, but. I don't know, just, just the whole way she approached Catherine, it really felt like, she's like, I don't understand this, but I have no power to say anything against it. No, because there's something going on here. It's like going, General goes away. Catherine feels really embarrassed that she's overstaying her welcome. Eleanor says, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. I like having you here. Okay, but I don't have much power. But as far as I'm concerned, stay as long as you like. Um, and actually wants her there. Mm. Henry had to go try uh, go do his work. Um, so, so she's worried. So then the impression was, oh, the captain's come home. Yes, because well, the general's we, not we, we didn't know who was coming home. No, but yeah, no, yeah. but Eleanor's like, oh, probably my brother. Like that's the only thing that makes sense mm. with that kind of thing. Um, and Catherine's stealing herself to behave and be polite and whatever mm. towards Captain Dilney, despite his involvement in the whole mess. But she goes in, and Eleanor is um, Eleanor's like, look, how long was it that she went out? Let's find out. So she, whatever, good heaven, what could be the matter? How Eleanor goes down. Eleanor said, it's probably my brother. Um, because that's the kind of behavior that could happen. Um, goes into her room. Um, she's sitting there and it's been half an hour since Eleanor's gone. Yes? Right. And then, uh, then Catherine hears a step in the gallery. So Eleanor's come upstairs. It's been half an hour. Eleanor comes upstairs and she's very carefully trying to come into the room because she feels obviously something is wrong because Eleanor is pale. She's very agitated. Something mm. is taking her effort to come into the room and she feels incredible. So she's feeling dis- distraught at having to do this thing, this task that her father has asked her to do. Yeah. And... I mean, that's one level even worse, really that he, you know, right up until from this, from when he right back at the, manner the abbey till when catherine goes he wasn't seen at all which i think is pretty cowardly honestly yeah um yes and also i mean initially he says my father's recollected an engagement will be gone um explanation and apology are equally impossible i cannot attempt either right mm. um can you when you come from this come to fullerton and this is the bit where it gets funny um, I can't come to Fullerton. Come when you can. And then it's like, there's a silence. Like, she can't, obviously. She's not reading it. So there's a between the lines thing happening, and Catherine's not picking up on it. Mm. And then Catherine's gone. And also, 
Eleanor is struggling to express because it's that it's it's scandalous in her mind it's scandalous how they're treating her how they're treating Catherine and of course the distress is on Catherine uh, on Eleanor to convey it Um, it's like no you basically he doesn't want to see you he just wants you gone what and I'm this is horrible this is not civilized this is not how we treat people with civility remember this is a contrast to Henry pointing out look we live in England those things that happen in those books don't really happen. Mm. Right? Yes, we're good Christian people. We're, well, yeah, or we're civilized here. We mm. have, there are systems, like, there are things to protect. Do you honestly think that, our, like, he was like, do you honestly think our father would get away with something so scandalous or so, so dastardly mm. and not a single, you know, servant would say anything and he wouldn't get, you know, there wouldn't be consequences? That kind of thing. But here... It's like, and it's like, have I offended the general? Said Catherine in a faltering voice. Alas, for my feelings as a daughter, all that I know, all that I answer for, is that you can have given him no just cause of offence. He yeah. certainly is very, very greatly dis- discomposed. His temper is not happy. Something has occurred to ruffle it to an uncommon degree. Some disappointment, some vexation which seems unimportant, but which I can hardly suppose you to have any concern in, for how is it possible? She's going, there's nothing you could have done that would upset him this much. But yeah, Eleanor see, also see, doesn't it, know about the the thing that Henry knows. Mm, yeah, it yeah? really feels like she's in the dark. Yeah, she's in the dark. Um, but she's like, but there's nothing you could have done. Um, now, I wonder... Here's the thought process as well. If, like, I was a young man, you were a young lady, and this was the, the like, the time that this book was um, released posthumously. Yes. You think, do you think we'd have, like, we both lived in England. You think we'd have the cultural context to maybe see what the general thinks Catherine has done, what the offense might be? No, but what we're doing is we're sitting there going, he went to London. We know that the the Thorps are back in Putney, which is in London. I'm just wondering, you know, based in that culture at the time, it might be more obvious to someone in that time and place what's going on. Well, you and I know, and any reader of this book knows, there's two things. Um, There's one thing, which is, of course, her excessive imagination and how she dared actually to think, so terribly about the general about the murdering of her his wife or imprisoning her yes yeah that that that's a pretty egregious that's offense pretty, it's pretty that pretty egregious to but get out. but it's disproportionate and also henry is the only person that knew about that unless you know a servant was listening and like the timeline we've we talked about well i've talked about and you've kind of just nodded because you don't want to say yay or nay is that going to london the thorps are there um, the Thorps have said, or at least John has said something to the general to give him a horrible view of Catherine. And yeah. I can't see how the Thorps would ever find out about it. We have, you have a couple of things that are going on. We've also got Catherine who, from the, from the general's word, what the general has said about wealth and what about like, um, that he just wants his children to be, you know, able to do what they want to do, kind mm. of thing. Yeah, and that wealth is not the, not like he never really he keeps diminishing the importance of wealth, 
um, or or marrying into wealth. He doesn't point. He tends to his words tend to indicate he's not actually interested in that. He doesn't want that for his kids. That's what mm. he says. But his kids' behavior has been um, when Isabel um, Isabel had that whole uh, I want to say entanglement with their brother. Mm. Oh, does she have money? And and that confused Catherine. But they're like, oh, she doesn't have money. Yeah, no, general's not. No, don't worry, it's not going to happen. It's like, what do you mean it's not going to happen? The general said he's, he, he doesn't believe that money's that important compared to the happiness of his children. And then they had that wonderful sidelong look at each other. <laughs> yes. So so as to whether, and we now we know throughout these things that the reason Catherine ha- was even provoked into a flight of fancy surrounding the general is that his behavior and his words are incongruent yeah yes there's there's something a bit off about him and she can't pinpoint it and so of course it went down to the worst case horror kind of gothic horror kind of scenario um and that was also a part of it so there's many many things here um as to why the general might be either offended or behaving in a way that is complete like um that is not how you would treat anyone other than someone who had seriously had stolen from you had um arranged for the death of one of your children even then you'd probably get um not sent home but you know like something worse would happen this is like um an incredibly harsh thing to do and i mean we was when we looked into what the going by post entailed Mm. he didn't care that he was putting her in mortal danger yeah Going by post often would either result in injury or death or, you know, other uh, permanent robbery, yeah. robbery and a young lady, her age, unattended of her breeding would also be an interesting, uh, would not fare well in a robbery is how I'm going to phrase it mm. uh, in, in those circumstances and at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, even the fact that she was on that post with people, with those folks, with questionable people, we don't know, like who, an unattended, Mm -hmm. an unattended young woman. The reason women were attended was there was a reason for that. Yeah. Yes. Um, she has a lot more to lose than, than anyone who would conduct themselves in a way that is improper. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the like the permanent social scarring and size from emotional mental and all that but it it's it's bad it would be bad so um we have this going on here and i mean to the point where eleanor was being instructed obviously from her father not to receive any correspondence yeah well basically we're cutting off all ties with this woman immediately yes yes so something has happened. Um, and we will hopefully find out soon what. Yeah, so. yeah. This this <laughs> is I'm very interested to find out how this plays out. Chapter twenty nine. Catherine was too wretched to be fearful. The journey in itself had no terrors for her, and she began it without either dreading its length or feeling its solitariness. Leaning back in one corner of the carriage, In a violent burst of tears, she was conveyed some miles beyond the walls of the abbey before she raised her head, and, 
the highest point of ground within the park was almost closed from her view before she was capable of turning her eyes towards it. Unfortunately, the road she now travelled was the same which only ten days ago she had so happily passed along in going to and from Woodston, and for fourteen miles every bitter feeling was rendered more severe by the review of objects on which she had first looked under impressions so different. Every mile as it brought her nearer Woodston added to her suffering, and when within the distance of five she passed the turning which led to it, and thought of Henry so near yet so unconscious, her grief and agitation were excessive. The day which she had spent at that place had been one of the happiest of her life. It was there, it was on that day, that the general had made use of such expressions with regard to Henry and herself, had spoken and so looked as if to give her the most positive conviction of his actually wishing their marriage. Yes, only ten days ago, had he elated her by his pointed regard, had he even confused her by his too significant reference. And now, what had she done? Or what had she omitted to do to merit such a change? The only offence against him, of which she could accuse herself, had been such as was scarcely possible to reach his knowledge. There we go, yeah. Henry, and her own heart only, were privy to the shocking suspicions which she had so idly entertained, and equally safe did she believe her secret with each. Designedly, at least, Henry could not have betrayed her, if indeed by any strange mischance his father should have gained intelligence of what she had dared to think and look for, of her causeless fancies and injurious examinations, she could not wonder at any degree of his indignation. If aware of her having viewed him as a murderer, she could not wonder at his even turning her from his house. But a justification so full of torture to herself, she trusted, would not be in his power." Anxious as were all her conjectures at this point, it was not, however, the one on which she dwelt most. There was a thought yet nearer, a more prevailing, more impetuous concern. How Henry would think and feel and look when he returned on the morrow to Northanger and heard of her being gone was a question of force and interest to rise over every other, to be never ceasing, alternately irritating and soothing, it sometimes suggested the dread of his calm acquiescence, and at others was answered by the sweetest confidence in his regret and resentment. To the general, of course, he would not dare speak. But to Eleanor, what might he not say to Eleanor about her? In this unceasing recurrence of doubts and inquiries, on any one article of which her mind was incapable of more than a momentary repose, the hours passed away, and her journey advanced much faster than she looked for. The pressing anxieties of thought, which prevented her from noticing anything before her, when once beyond the neighbourhood of Woodston, saved her at the time from watching her progress, and though no object on the road could engage a moment's attention, she found no stage of it tedious. From this she was preserved, too, by another cause, by feeling no eagerness for her journey's conclusion, for to return in such a manner to Fullerton was almost to destroy the pleasure of a meeting with those she loved best, even after an absence such as hers, an eleven weeks' absence. What had she to say that would not humble herself and pain her family, that would not increase her own grief by the confession of it, extend a useless resentment, and perhaps involve the innocent with the guilty in indistinguishing ill-will? She could never do justice to Henry and Eleanor's merit, she felt it too strongly for expression, 
and should a dislike be taken against them, should they be thought of unfavorably on their father's account, it would cut her to the heart. So she doesn't want Henry and Ele Eleanor to get the backlash of their father, their father's mistreatment yeah. of her. Yeah. With these feelings, she rather dreaded than sought for the first view of that well-known spire which would announce her within twenty miles of home. Salisbury, she had known to be her point on leaving Northanger, but after the first stage she had been indebted to the postmasters for the names of the places which were then to conduct her to it, so great had been her ignorance of her route. She met with nothing, however, to distress or frighten her. Her youth, civil manners, and liberal pay procured her all the attention that a traveller like herself could require and stopping only to change horses, she travelled on for about eleven hours without accident or alarm, and between six and seven o'clock in the evening found herself entering Fullerton. A heroine returning at the close of her career to her native village, in all the triumph of recovered reputation and all the dignity of a countess, with a long train of noble relations in their several phaetons, and three waiting-maids in a travelling chaise and four behind her, is an event on which the pen of the contriver may well delight to dwell. It gives credit to every conclusion, and the author must share in the glory she so liberally bestows. But my affair is wildly different. I bring back my heroine to her home, in solitude and disgrace, and no sweet elation of spirits can lead me into minuteness. A heroine in a hack-post chase is such a blow upon sentiment as no attempt at grandeur or pathos can withstand. <laughs> Swiftly, therefore, shall her postboy drive through the village, and amidst the gaze of Sunday groups, and speedy shall be her descent from it. But whatever might be the distress of Catherine's mind, as she thus advanced towards the parsonage, and whatever the humiliation of her biographer in relating it, she was preparing enjoyment of no everyday nature for those to whom she went. First, in the appearance of her carriage, and secondly in herself. The chaise of a traveller being a rare sight in Fullerton, the whole family were immediately at the window, and to have it stop at the sweep-gate was a pleasure to brighten every eye and occupy every fancy, a pleasure quite unlooked for by all but the two youngest children, a boy and girl of six and four years old, who expected a brother or sister in every carriage. <laughs> happy the glance that first distinguished Catherine, happy the voice that proclaimed the discovery, but whether such happiness were the lawful property of George or Harriet could never be exactly understood. Her father, mother, Sarah, George, and Harriet, all assembled at the door to welcome her with affectionate eagerness, was a sight to awaken the best feelings of Catherine's heart, and in the embrace of each as she stepped from the carriage she found herself soothed beyond anything that she had believed possible. So surrounded, so caressed, she was even happy. In the joyfulness of family love, everything for a short time was subdued, and the pleasure of seeing her, leaving them at first little leisure for calm curiosity, they were all seated round the tea-table which Miss Morland had hurried for the comfort of the poor traveller, whose pale and jaded looks soon caught her notice, before any inquiry so direct as to demand a positive answer was addressed to her. Reluctantly, and with much hesitation, did she then begin what might perhaps, at the end of half an hour, be termed by the courtesy of her hearers an explanation? But scarcely within that time could they at all discover the cause or collect the particulars of her sudden return. 
they were far from being an irritable race, far from any quickness in catching or bitterness in resenting affronts. But here, when the whole was unfolded, was an insult not to be overlooked, nor, for the first half-hour, to be easily pardoned. Without suffering any romantic alarm in the consideration of their daughter's long and lonely journey, Mr. and Mrs. Morland could not but feel that it might have been productive of much unpleasantness to her, that it was what they could never have voluntarily suffered, and that in forcing her on such a measure, General Tilney had acted neither honourably nor feelingly, neither as a gentleman nor as a parent. Why he had done it, what could have provoked him to such a breach of hospitality, and so suddenly turned all his partial regard for their daughter into actual ill-will, was a matter which they were at least as far from divining as Catherine herself. But it did not oppress them by any means so long, and, after a due course of useless conjecture, that it was a strange business, and that he must be a very strange man, grew enough for all their indignation and wonder. Though Sarah, indeed, still indulged in the sweets of an incomprehensibility, exclaiming and conjecturing with youthful ardour, "'My dear, you give yourself a great deal of needless trouble,' said her mother at last. "'Depend upon it. It is something not at all worth understanding.' "'I can allow for his wishing Catherine away when he recollected this engagement,' said Sarah. "'But why not do it civilly?' "'I am sorry for the young people,' returned Mrs. Morland. They must have a sad time of it. But as for anything else, there is no matter now. Catherine is safe at home, and our comfort does not depend upon General Tilney. Catherine sighed. Well, continued her philosophic mother, I am glad I did not know of your journey at the time. But now it is all over, perhaps there is no great harm done. It is always good for young people to be put upon exerting themselves, and you know, my dear Catherine— you always were a sad little scatterbrained creature. <laughs> but now you must have been forced to have your wits about you, with so much changing of the chaises and so forth, and I hope it will appear that you have left not anything behind you in any of the pockets. Catherine hoped so too, and tried to feel an interest in her own amendment, but her spirits were quite worn down, and to be silent and alone, becoming soon her only wish, she readily agreed to her mother's next counsel of going early to bed. Her parents, seeing nothing in her ill looks and agitation but the natural consequence of mortified feelings, and of the unusual exertion and fatigue of such a journey, parted from her without any doubt of their being soon slipped away, and though when they all met the next morning her recovery was not equal to their hopes, they were still perfectly unsuspicious of there being any deeper evil. They never once thought of her heart, which for the parents of a young lady of seventeen just returned from her first excursion from home was odd enough. As soon as breakfast was over, she sat down to fulfil her promise to Miss Tilney, whose trust in the effect of time and distance on her friend's disposition was already justified. For already did Catherine reproach herself with having parted from Eleanor coldly, with having never enough valued her merits or kindness, and never enough commiserated her for what she had been yesterday left to endure. The strength of these feelings, however, was far from assisting her pen, and never had it been harder for her to write than in addressing Eleanor Tilney, to compose a letter which might at once do justice to her sentiments and her situation, convey gratitude without servile regret, to be guarded without coldness, and honest without resentment, a letter which Eleanor might not be pained by the perusal of, and above all which she might not blush herself if Henry should chance to see, 
was an undertaking to frighten away all her powers of performance, and, after long thought and much perplexity, to be very brief, was all that she could determine on with any confidence of safety. The money, therefore, which Eleanor had advanced was enclosed with little more than grateful thanks and the thousand good wishes of a most affectionate heart. "'This has been a strange acquaintance,' observed Mrs. Morland, as the letter was finished. "'Soon made and soon ended. I'm sorry it happened so, for Mrs. Allen thought them very pretty kind of young people, and you were sadly out of luck, too, in your Isabella. Ah, poor James! Well, we must live and learn.' and the next new friends you make, I hope, will be better worth keeping. Catherine coloured as she warmly answered, No friend can be better worth keeping than Eleanor. If so, my dear, I dare say you will meet again some time or other. Do not be uneasy. It is ten to one, but you are thrown together again in the course of a few years, and then what a pleasure it will be. Mrs. Morland was not happy in her attempt at consolation. The hope of meeting again in the course of a few years could only put into Catherine's head what might happen within that time to make a meeting dreadful to her. She's catastrophizing. <laughs> she could never forget Henry Tilney, or think of him with less tenderness than she did at that moment. But he might forget her, and in that case to meet. Her eyes filled with tears as she pictured her acquaintance so renewed, and her mother perceiving her comfortable suggestions to have had no good effect, proposed, as another expedient for restoring her spirits, that they should call on Mrs. Allen. <laughs> um, and if we look over here, there was something that came up, worry. So, that way of using happy? Mrs. Morland was not happy in her attempt at consolation. That's successful. Hmm. It's a weird way of using happy, but, well, not weird. It's an older way of using happy, apparently. Yeah, no, no I, I've come across that in my life, um, the idea of uh, not happy being not successful. Yes, yes, it's interesting. It's interesting. Anyway. So she's like, oh, no, she's crying. Okay, we're going to go take her to Stractor, take her to Mrs. Allen. Which I'm, I'm kind of laughing about anticipating, because we it's been a while since this character, but she always was a kind of... She was almost as scatterbrained in her own way as uh, her mother thinks Catherine is. Mm. The two houses were only a quarter of a mile apart, and as they walked, Mrs. Morland quickly dispatched all that she felt on the score of James's disappointment. Ah. We are sorry for him, said she, but otherwise there is no harm done in the match going off, for it could not be a desirable thing to have him engaged to a girl whom we had not the smallest acquaintance with, and who was so entirely without fortune. And now, after such behaviour, we cannot think at all well of her. Just at present, it comes hard to poor James. But that will not last forever, and I dare say he will be a discreeter man all his life for the foolishness of his first choice. This was just such a summary of view of the affair as Catherine could listen to. Another sentence might have endangered a complacence, and made a reply less rational. For soon were all her thinking powers swallowed up in the reflection of her own change of feelings and spirits since she last had trodden that well-known road. It was not three months ago, since wild with joyful expectation, she had run there backwards and forwards some ten times a day, with an heart light, gay, and independent, looking forward to pleasures untasted and unalloyed, and free from the apprehension of evil as from the knowledge of it. Three months ago, had seen her all this, and now, how altered a being did she return. She was received by the Allens with all the kindness 
which her unlooked-for appearance, acting on a steady affection, would naturally call forth. And great was their surprise, and warm their displeasure, on hearing how she had been treated. Though Mrs. Morland's account of it was no inflated representation, no studied appeal to their passions. "'Catherine took us quite by surprise yesterday evening,' said she. "'She travelled all the way, post by herself, and knew nothing of coming till Saturday night. For General Tilney, from some odd fancy or other, all of a sudden grew tired of having her there, and almost turned her out of the house. Very unfriendly, certainly, and he must be a very odd man. But we are so glad to have her amongst us again.' and it is a great comfort to find that she is not a poor helpless creature, but can shift very well for herself. Mr. Allen expressed himself on the occasion with the reasonable resentment of a sensible friend, and Mrs. Allen thought his expressions quite good enough to be immediately made use of again by herself. <laughs> his wonder, his conjectures, and his explanations became in succession hers, with the addition of this single remark. "'I really have not patience with the general.' to fill up every accidental pause, and I really have not patience with the general, was uttered twice after Mr. Allen left the room without any relaxation of anger or any material digression of thought. <laughs> Sorry, that, that kind of just tickled me. <laughs> yes, but, well, she just keeps saying it. Like, yeah. she's, she can't, and just, I love this, it's like, she didn't think, she's not thinking, she's just saying like this she's little... reflecting on her husband she's not reflecting she's not even doing that she's just no, no no as as she is a mirror like like oh, yeah, the yeah, husband's yeah. indignation yeah. is bouncing off her and... yeah and then she's not but and there's no um digression like there's no mm. uh, a more considerable degree of wandering attended the third repetition and after having completed the fourth she immediately added only think my dear of my having got that frightful great rent in my best Mechlin so charmingly mended before I left Bath that one can hardly see where it was. I must show it you some day or other. Bath is a nice place, Catherine, after all. I assure you, I did not above half like coming away. Mrs. Thorpe's being there was such a great comfort to us, was not it? You know, you and I were quite forlorn at first. "'Yes, but that did not long last,' said Catherine, her eyes brightening at the recollection of what had first given spirit to her existence there. "'Very true. We soon met with Mrs. Thorpe, and then we wanted for nothing. My dear, do not you think these silk gloves wear very well? I put them on new the first time of our going to the lower rooms, you know, and I have worn them a great deal since. Do you remember that evening?' "'Do I? Oh, perfectly. It was very agreeable, was not it?' Mr. Tilney drank tea with us, and I always thought him a great addition. He is so very agreeable. I have a notion you danced with him, but I'm not quite sure. I remember I had my favourite gown on. Catherine could not answer, and after a short trial of other subjects, Mrs. Allen again returned to, I really have not patience with the general. Such an agreeable, worthy man as he seemed to be. I do not suppose, Mrs. Morland, you ever saw a better-bred man in your life. His lodgings were taken the very day after he left them, Catherine, but no wonder, Milsom Street, you know. As they walked home again, Mrs. Morland endeavoured to impress on her daughter's mind the happiness of having such steady well-wishers as Mr. and Mrs. Allen, and the very little consideration which the neglect or unkindness of slight acquaintance, like the Tilneys, ought to have with her, while she could preserve the good opinion and affection of her earliest friends. 
There was a great deal of good sense in all this, but there are some situations of the human mind in which good sense has very little power, and Catherine's feelings contradicted almost every position her mother advanced. It was upon the behaviour of these very slight acquaintance that all her present happiness depended, and while Mrs. Morland was successfully confirming her own opinions by the justness of her own representations, <laughs> Catherine was silently reflecting that now Henry must have arrived at Northanger, now he must have heard of her departure, and now, perhaps, they were all setting off for Hereford. Hmm... So that's where we're at. And, and you can see, um, so Catherine's mum is kind of, they're annoyed. They are annoyed at how they've been, the daughter's been treated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're also kind of like, well, she's here, she's safe. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But how, like, that's really uncivilized behavior. Like, it's not, not something one does. Yeah, and, and I like even, you know, um, because Catherine took a long time to write that letter to Eleanor because it had to be, you know, it had to toe just the right line because even if he's like, yeah, Henry might read this. I want to be kind, but I also don't want to be resentful, but I also don't want to feel like this is okay. It, it, it felt like, you know, a lot was writing on that letter. And then seeing her daughter uh, struggle with that letter, she's like, hey, why don't we go see the Alan? <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's distract you. And, and oh. I did like that short little summation of hers, uh, her thoughts on the whole James and Isabella situation on the way over there. Yeah, which was just like, look, it's a, it's a learning thing. He'll be more careful in the future. <laughs> yes. But also you've got this thing where um, she's, she's also, she doesn't necessarily agree with her mother. Mm. But she's holding back for now. Yeah, yeah, it was like, her mother went right up to that line where she could just kind of acquiesce. And she's like, if she went a little further, Catherine's composure probably would have faltered. Yes, it was like, it was a summary. It's like, poor James, but it won't last and he'll learn. But mm, she's like, oh, I'm sure this is like, if you hadn't approved of a girl that he didn't know, that mm -hmm. you didn't know, why would you then, I, I bet you she would have said you shouldn't have then given your approval. You should have said no. Meet like, the girl first. <laughs> Yes, yes. Which um, you know, also I thought about Catherine and uh, Henry as well. Like that, yes. his her parents have not met Henry. Although, at the end of the chapter, kind of I think in her fantasy, she's hoping like you know Henry would be aghast at the situation, and then he would get in a carriage and he would come rescue but no, me. The, because, she, but she's that was like at the beginning, but now she's like, no, Henry must have arrived and is probably they're all going off to yeah, the yeah, engagement. I, so it's like she's she's let go of that almost. She, she, she did have hoping, a lot of uh, time to think in the carriage. It was eleven hours, and I yeah. I like that how it just seemed to pass by because she was so vexed. Her anxieties were so high, and I've been there. I'm sure you have too. Where like your mind just constantly eats around these these things so so yeah. you look up and suddenly you're like oh it's like a couple hours have passed what the heck yes that, that that happens a lot time is one of those things that passes strangely depending on what your mind is occupied with um and it was going it's funny that mr allen just kind of went that's really that's really un un uh inappropriate behavior on his part I think then, they used, uh, I think it was the Morelands who used the word ungentlemanly, and then another 
uh, word is well with a um, ungentlemanly and uncivil for one thing something like that yeah 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 it, and then it's like going um oh it, it lacks sensibility sense like it as a parent you should know better mm. unfeelingly that's what it was not feelingly not, it was that yeah, yes un- unfeelingly and then it was like going express himself on the occasion so he he mr allen says the reasonable thing mr allen just repeats it <laughs> yeah. mr allen leaves the room mr allen keeps repeating <laughs> Not only just keeps repeating, I have not patience with the general. I have not patience. I really have not patience with the general. And they're like, oh god, stop now. And then um, she's like, oh wait, what about my lovely clothes? Let's talk about my clothes. So his explanations came in succession. Of, I don't know. Yeah, it was. It's just odd. Um, and then. She keeps talking about Bath, even though that's literally the last thing that Catherine necessarily wants to talk about. Yeah. It's like, yeah. weren't the Thorpes lovely? <laughs> With Mrs. Moreland in the room as well. <laughs> yeah, so Mrs. Moreland's just holding off and not saying anything. Oh, boy. She, yeah, Mrs. Allen just doesn't think. Not at all. No, but then it says, as they walked home, Mrs. Moreland endeavoured to impress on her daughter's mind the happiness of having such steady well-wishers as Mr. and Mrs. Allen. Yes? So mm. even though Mrs. Allen says really unthinking, has really unthinking foolish conversation there. Yes? Mm. She's like, look, they are at least constant friends. Like, they, they're constant. You know that they don't mean ill. They mm. actually want our happiness. It's not like so, say, say Mrs. Allen was saying this with with malice, like oh mm. your son really missed out, like she was pretty and whatever, mm. like that kind of stuff. Like I really don't understand what went wrong. Why couldn't he accept her? Da, 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 like, you know, that kind of stuff. You're right. There is no malice in their words. No. Like I was thinking when Mrs. Moreland said that to Catherine on the way out. In my head, I was like, yeah, but isn't that kind of um, ingenuine you know the idea to just have people around to kind of um i know reflect uh positivity back at you but then again i mean because it's positivity it's it's not like they're being insincere well it's also not positivity it's mr mrs okay so mrs um moreland goes when she describes um what happened doesn't actually try and appeal or convince them to be supportive of them, right? It's not like she's going, oh, and they treated her abominably and da 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 da. Like, she doesn't try hmm. and emotionalize it. Like, what, um, what's it? So, so c- contrast Isabella, I couldn't for the world. Like, that, that dramatic superficiality. Hmm. Whereas there's no trying to persuade them. There's kindness and, um, and the simply, um, Mrs. Moreland's account was no inflated representation, no studied appeal to their passions. You're right. Did, didn't yeah. she call them well-wishers? I guess that's exactly what happened, that they yes. listened and they reflected with horror when it was not exaggerated. So, so it's almost like they were there to say the right things. That's why. Well, they say the right things, but also they, they are people who have known their family for a long time. And when they're looking at the behavior of other, like they're going, they were shocked. And and the way that the pe- mum described it was simply, she did all this, like, and at the end, it is great comfort 
Like, certainly he must be a very odd man. But we are so glad to have her have her amongst us again. So we're happy she's back. Mm-hmm. And it's comfort to find that she's no longer, like, what was she calling her? her a scatterbrain that doesn't really mm-hmm. know how to fend for herself. She can actually adapt in, in a crisis that she was in. Yeah, I, 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 I did like that little bit of encouragement how when Catherine was first telling her tale, the parents were like, oh, we could have never... Uh, uh, survived what you've just been through well not not the parents they, they were worried about her because remember when she left who was she was 17 she just turned 17 and she was a little bit she read books she liked reading her novels not books that are necessarily educational but she liked novels she wanted to learn how to play the piano she gave up on learning how to play the piano she doesn't like she she wanted to learn this she doesn't really know how so she was not very um she didn't have much uh, endurance or just kept you know being a little f- no that, um stick with itness as i've heard yes, it called yeah it's just that there was a little she was a little bit um like she was kind she had a good heart she had which is the important thing and i think this also comes from the way that I've, uh, you know, th- things that I kind of also believe in. This is the idea of that if you don't have a strong foundation of um, not... Okay, so when I say morality, I'm not talking about uh, you taking your values and projecting them onto other people or judging other people. I'm talking morality as in if you don't have a moral code... Um, or you don't have these qualities such as kindness or compassion or um, sincerity, all these things that no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how well-trained your mind is, no no matter how wealthy you are, all these things, they tend to not be... um, You can't compensate for it. So so though she was a scatterbrain and whatnot, she was placed in in a challenging situation she is upset. She's been traumatized. This is not justifying any of the mistreatment that she's been through. But she has grown as a person, and she already had that foundation of kindness and having a good heart. Yeah, the only real misstep she ever made was letting her imagination ride away with her at yes. the Abbey. Um, Multiple times. All, all yes. her, um, all her uh, adventures in Bath she kind of did the right thing every time. I mean, there was that time when the Dorps forced her into the carriage when she was going to go see the Tilnies, but she was very apologetic about that, and she was able to smooth it over. It was kind of outside her control. She could have been more forceful, but then again, she's a young lady, and yeah. yeah, She she had behavioral conduct. Also, her older brother was there, and her Mm -hmm. older brother would have been... Um, it would have been almost uh, a complicated situation for her. She, she did it for others. But, so but then, a, yeah. then again, she took that first experience where she felt like she was uh, kind of uh, coerced against her will. And when it happened again, she stood her ground. Yes. So she grows. She's been growing as a person. I think that what the mom is saying is not wrong. It's mm. like, I don't like I don't I'm sad that you've gone through these challenging things and I, I'm shocked um but i'm actually impressed you've grown from this you've you've become a stronger person whether it's due to it or it just happened to be you know timing but yeah you've pulled through you've shown that your true colors are a lot stronger than what you believe and you have this comment here also with uh, Catherine going again when when mrs thorpe described the situation like Catherine um 
Another sentence might have endangered her complacence and made her reply less rational. For soon were all her thinking powers swallowed up in the reflection of her own change of feelings and spirits since she last had trodden that well-known road. So she's like, going, I have changed. I'm no longer that same person as I was. Mm. When we came to the Allens for going that suggestion to go to Bath. Mm. I'm not that person anymore. I'm a different which, which person. Is- also interesting because at the start she she had that fantasy about the heroine coming home right mm. and the reality of it is quite different well she, she she didn't she didn't have the fantasy um that was the author that was jane austen going i wish i could write it this way right right but but, but this e- situation even with that like she had a bit of embarrassment about you know because a, ch- a chase is so rarely seen in the town so everyone would have seen her arrive yeah. but it's 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 kind of uh, what's I'm trying to think juxtaposition is not the right word, but the idea of, you know, in, in your standard hero's journey story, yes, she has changed. She went away and she's come back a different person. The funny thing in this story is she's come back and the main conflict of the, the book is still unresolved. Yes. Well, the thing is also the family are going, going, well, we don't know what's motivated this behavior that is incredibly inappropriate on his part, but let's not dwell on it. Like, yeah. we, they back. tried. Well, they tried to figure it out, and they're a little vexed mm. by it, but they're going, you know what? Let's move on. Like, this is, let's just value the what has come out of this, which is mm. you You are here, and you are safe, and you are, uh, uh, you know, str- you've demonstrated a strength that you maybe didn't have before, or you didn't demonstrate before. Would yeah. have had, but you just didn't have a chance to develop it. Um, and, and also they, of course, wanted it, you know, to stay calm and, and be content. Um, but it was interesting that Catherine, Catherine had a, a feeling. So the mum's saying you shouldn't let the behavior of the Tilneys upset you because, look, you've still got people who actually care for you and want well mm-hmm. for you. But the thing is, Catherine knows that Eleanor and Henry do wish her well. Mm-hmm. And she's frustrated because it's more complicated than that. And I think mom is simplifying it a bit. She even said, I will never find a friend as good as Eleanor. No, she won't. Like, that's that's her perception as well. Sorry, I like that whole thing yeah. about how her mother said, well, you'll, you'll probably, if she is, you know, that good a friend, you'll meet her again in your life. It may be a few years and then you'll both be different. And you'll get to reflect on how much has changed. And that destroyed her because then she thought about Henry you know, meeting someone, how different he'd be in a few years. And then she's like, no. Well, she was thinking the only way, reason she would encounter them potentially and, and time would have passed. And if time has passed, he would in that meantime have found someone to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for her, so this is a complicated thing. She's grown, but she's also in love. Mm-hmm. And so for her, the idea of her heart was basically, remember when they came back from um, Woodston, she's like, I have no doubt I will be back here and will be for marriage. Like, that was basically how it had been reinforced. So the general, for so so much time, had been reinforcing this concept. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, her own heart was already in favor of because she loves Henry. Yeah. Uh, And she loves Eleanor and she wants to be around the both of them. She's like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that love is reciprocated. Yes, that was the other thing. Um, And then we've got this whole, 
and it's interesting because Mrs. Moreland's saying, look, just don't worry about what those people say because you don't know them anywhere near as long as you know the Allens and the Allens wish well and be more concerned about their friendship. It's much more important. So there was a good deal of good sense. There was a great deal of good sense in all this. And they are. Hmm. It's sensible. But there are some situations of the human mind in which the good sense, in which good sense has very little power. Yeah. For example, when you're in love. Yeah, I, I laughed at that sentence. Yes. And Catherine's feelings contradicted almost every position her mother advanced, which is like, you'll find another friend. No, I won't. Eleanor is the only friend who's ever worthy of that friendship. Um, I mean, she. I think also on the uh, when she was writing the letter, she was reflecting on how she had probably done uh, Eleanor wrong in Bath. Yes. Her, uh... And, yeah, her acquaintance with um, Isabella. Oh, sorry, yeah, I thought you were going to talk about how she felt she left Eleanor a bit too coldly, which, well, that again, too, that, that just too. speaks to her um, her good character. Yes. Uh, I mean, she did. She For a moment, she was a bit like, no, I won't bother writing to you because hmm. you're not meant to receive it. It's like, hey, I hope that you'll reconsider. It's like, And then already she had reconsidered. Like, she yeah. was right. Um, but... One thing that came up, I think she's she's now really understood the kind of friendship that she had with Eleanor and she has with Eleanor, that she saw the friendship with um, Isabella and just could see how it was completely nothing comparatively. Mm-hmm. Like there was no depth, no sincerity, yeah. no, uh, no, no value in getting to know the other person. Eleanor said, I trust that your character will allow you to review that you're, in, in time you'll see and you'll reach out to me and, and you'll revise your opinion. Because Eleanor has taken the time to get to know her and actually see that she has that kind of character that pauses and reflects and tries to see the best in every situation. Mm. Whereas Isabella constantly would tell her, oh, you, you think the worst of people, don't you? That kind of thing. You know, yeah. that kind of attitude. So she just projected Oh, you're trying to manipulate people. Oh, you, you're just stopping coy. You know what you want. You know, that kind of... Uh, uh, anyway. So, um, but next time we shall hopefully... Well, next time we will have our last episode on Northanger Abbey. Yeah, we, we had a look at it. The, um, the next chapter, chapter 30, is about as long as chapter 29 is. And then chapter 31 is very short, so... I think it makes a lot of sense for us to finish up, you know, next next episode we will read both chapters, we'll discuss both chapters, we'll do our end of book reflections that we've done three times previously, and then we will drum roll announce what book five will be. Excellent, excellent. So in the meantime, uh, just for the second last time, uh, music at the top of the podcast is Northanger Abbey by Charlie Moore. And played by the Regency Players. Music at the end of the podcast is I Am the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can catch me on Twitter at Rue McMoo. That's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. And I'm over at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. If you would like to follow our uh, podcast Twitter page or visit our podcast Facebook page, they are the same, at SMBSLT Podcast. If you would like to email us, it is SMB sltpodcast at gmail.com please we would love to hear your feedback what you think of our discussion what you think of the books so far even our previous books we if, if you finished listening to our read through 
any of our previous books and would like to talk about what you thought of how we covered things overall or what you thought of the stories, we'd love to hear from you. And of course, if you have suggestions about books you would like us to read in the future, we are more than open to them. And hopefully, uh, in the meantime, you are engaging with your friends as you can through discussing books, games, whatever it is that your medium is that connects or allows you to connect um, even further or discuss life and existence and deeper philosophical elements of our, our being um, and social behavior. Who knows? Whatever it is that triggers conversation with you and your friends, please feel free also to share that be great um and then until next time happy reading goodbye folks <laughs>